Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. You know, when I have a large project at home, sometimes it makes sense to do it by myself. But other times, I actually save money in the long term and have a much better solution if I use an expert. It's really not that much different with church planning. Church planners who focus on building their core team and actually planting the church and partner with portability experts like Portable Church Industries hit the ground running. Yes, you may have to raise more funds up front, but let me tell you something. If I could go back in a time machine and do one thing different in all the churches that I planted, I would go back and have invested that money in Portable Church and all of the super cool kit that they give you to make the volunteers and their lives much, much easier. Trust me, your volunteers will feel invested in, and they're going to give you more of what they got. And that time where people are setting up is going to be a time where it sets the atmosphere for you to thrive. If you're thinking about launching in the next 6 to 36 months, we encourage you to check them out at PortableChurch.com. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And unfortunately for you, you're listening to the Church Planner Podcast. <laughs> I guess, you know, I I don't like listening to recordings of myself. That, that just... Really? Yeah, that's a, that's a new thing. I have listened... I, I used to listen religiously to our podcast, but I drove a lot more. Yeah. And now that I rarely ever leave my little cave, my bunker, as I like to call it, <laughs> <laughs> I don't listen to a lot of our podcasts anymore. I suppose. Yeah. But I will say this. Last week's on the uh, depression and dealing with depression, boy, man, did we get just all kinds of responses from pastors all over oh, the yeah. place. I yeah. mean, you and I both got text from the UK. 
We got, uh, I mean, Facebook posts. Um, one guy up in Canada up there is like, Hey man, I'm so grateful you guys are talking about this. I've been suffering uh, with this my whole life. And I was like, wow, man, this is like really, really touching the nerve, man. Yeah. It, it really did. I mean, we've, we've kind of been, um, you know, it's funny because we talked about how to minister to mental illness, like in what was it like a five part series? <laughs> no one, no one knew. Yeah, probably, probably was. Yeah, yeah like series. And, uh, <laughs> hey, sometimes when it's a big topic, you know, you, you got to do that. And then there's smack talk to deal with, you know, and it pushes stuff out. But yeah, I mean, but we never talked about what about when you're the minister struggling with this. And you brought up a really good point, which was, when you're the spouse dealing with that. And so and we had um, somebody from the Bivo inner circle pop on the, uh, our Voxer group and was like, I'm so like, he goes, everything you guys talked about hit home for me because we're shutting down our church plant. We're going to regroup. Yeah. Um, my spouse is, uh, has dealt with depression and it was like everything we talked about. He was right. I mean, it was, yeah. Yeah, man. And, and I knew at the time, like it was prophetic. There are certain days that Pete and I show up to record and he goes, what are we going to talk about? And this is one of those days where I go, I don't know. <laughs> and then in my mind, I'm searching, but I'm kind of half praying, like, you know, like particularly for me, like recently, I've been traveling a lot. And, you know, it's when I came back that week, it was, I was still speaking. Like I just spoke this week at a conference and, Turned up in shorts and sandals and a t-shirt. Whoopsie. Didn't realize what a big, I thought I was at the church playing network. I was at a denominational gathering and the, the president actually mentioned, you know, and now Peyton Jones will come back up in his swimsuit. Cause I had like board shorts on <laughs> that had the, the drawstring hanging out through my t-shirt. But, uh, were you paid, was, were you paid to speak there? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so. So you might want to send a dress code over. Just let me know what I'm doing because it, I know was, what you're it thinking. was a buddy of mine. I know what you're thinking. I'm inviting a pastor to come speak at our denominational meeting. Of course he knows how to dress. Nope. <laughs> that that was what he was thinking. And I'm thinking, hey, man, this thing's in Laguna Hills. You know, this is my buddy. He knows me. And I was literally the most un- – there was no one as underdressed as I. I and I was the main speaker. It was reaching the unreached was the theme of the conference. It wasn't like I was just a small, like sharing the platform with others. I was like, I was the tri-tip baby. I wasn't the mashed potatoes. It was like, this is your conference. What I think would have been just the best ever. If people remember back to the first hundred episodes, (laughs) we talked about (laughs) t-shirts we would like to wear at our own conference. And one of them, Peyton was out shopping one day with Andrea, his wife. And he sees this T-shirt of Jesus riding a T-Rex. And he's like, oh, I want that. She's like, you can't get that. And he's like, it's my two favorite things, Jesus and dinosaurs. I want that. She's like, oh, that's so disrespectful. And I go, no, it's rad. (laughs) And and I go, hey, wait a second. New heavens, new earth, right? Like, that could be happening. Right, Jesus is going to bring the dinosaurs back because dinosaurs are rad. He and I still them. remember your line to her. You go, "Hey, look, when we get to heaven, if Jesus rolls up riding the T Rex, I'm just going to look at you and wink." No, I told her, I go, "I'm going to be on my T Rex. So I'm going to wink at you and say, hey, catch you later.' And me and Jesus are going to ride off together.'" 
You're going to be like, I wish I had one. I'll be like, see. <laughs> so, But anyways, going back to the point, <laughs> what was the point? The point was that day, it just kind of popped out of my mouth. And when you brought up the um, spouses, the, the spouses that are suffering, I was like, I knew like there are just certain times like, OK, that's prophetic. Like that is literally prophetic. Like I knew I could feel it in my bones right then. Um, kind of, kind of like our topic coming up where again, the same thing. I, I, I have this thing about, you know, I can tell when I'm in a gospel situation when someone's going to get saved. I can feel it. I just feel like there's this little thing that I can sense. Like this person's already in the back. I sense the Holy Spirit working all around this person. The Church Planner Podcast isn't the podcast that planners deserve, but the podcast they need. <laughs> yeah, baby. I don't know who did that voice, but man, I'm telling you, that's like one of the best sound clips ever. So um, we are going to get into our topic a little bit earlier than we, we sometimes do because we got a lot of uh, stuff that we're going to cover on this particular episode. And, uh, and I'm going to preface it by saying this. If you're new to the Church Planner Podcast, normally we have a lot longer smack talk. It's uh, our chance for Peyton and I to kind of catch up in each other's lives because we're both so busy doing all the other jazz we do. And and you get to listen in, <laughs> basically, is what it is, smack talk. It's just us like, here's what's up. And uh, But I, I've had something going on in my life for the last, uh, well, it's been going on longer, but really heavily for the last four months. And almost every day for the last four months, there's been a, another step, another thing that has transpired in this. And um, and I'm going to talk to you guys about it. And I'm going to warn you guys right now. There are some of you who hopefully it's been a joke. Uh, you've jokingly said, are those two guys even saved? <laughs> you know, because of our smack talk. Uh, I still remember Stephanie saying that in the Voxer group, which was awesome. By the way, the Voxer group is... Uh, for the Bivo Inner Circle, uh, BivoInnerCircle.com. If you've been thinking about joining the Bivo Inner Circle, I'm going to let you know right now that this is going to be your last week that you can join the Bivo Inner Circle for $197 a month. Uh, cancel at any time. After this next week, it is going to be changing, and uh, it will be a lot more uh, of an investment financially on your side and a lot more of an investment for us on our side. Uh, you'll be finding all about that when you go to BibleInnerCircle.com starting uh, um, after this week. But just letting you know, if you've been like on the fence going, should I join that? Let me tell you, it's going to be your last week. So hurry up and hurry up and join up. But uh, so anyway, um, <clears throat> uh, the reason why we're going to jump right into this, uh, I, I'm going to say some things that some of you are going to be like, is Pete saved? And, uh, and I'm going to tell you right now that I'm not really concerned if you think I'm saved. I am more concerned if Jesus thinks I'm saved. And you'll understand why as we go through this, how, how some of the things that, uh, that we're going to talk about, you're going to be like, what, what exactly is going on here? But, uh, and I'm just, I'm warning you. I'm giving you fair warning. So, uh, so anyway, here's the deal, guys. Um, 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 by the way, if I could just say something, yes, um, no one wonders if you're safe, Peyton, you're yeah, good. No, no. Just to let you guys know, um, I don't think Pete is safe. So, <laughs> I, you know, hopefully that just, if you're feeling that it's okay, 
you know, you're not alone and I'm, I'm here for you. You know, we can talk about it. Just pray for me. I'm still working on him. <laughs> I got a bad feeling about this. Wait, wait. And the best one ever? I made my money the old fashioned way. I got run over by Alexis. I, I can honestly tell you, I am eternally grateful to Travis for sending me that sound clip. <laughs> I just What's it from? Parks and Recreation. I never really watched the show. Yeah. So I, it's one of the characters on there, and I just thought it was hilarious. Well, and that just goes to show, if you guys have a sound clip that you're like, man, that needs to be on the podcast, send it in. We don't have to even know what it is to think it's funny. <laughs> Which, that one's just funny. Come on. I it's made hilarious. my money old-fashioned way. I got run over by Alexis. I, I do it to my wife in that that exact voice. I'll say it to her, and she'll she'll start laughing. She has no <laughs> clue what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty funny. So, all right, guys, here's, here's the story. And Peyton, you know, feel free to interject at any time because Peyton's been riding shotgun, uh, throughout this, this whole story. And it, it's going to take me a while to get through it. I'm really hoping I can just kind of plow through it on this whole episode because, uh, I don't really like the, the two, I don't like the series. You know, I'm not the pastor. Pastors like to do series. They make their lives easier. I'm not a pastor. So I, yeah, I like- yeah, no, just, you know, spit it out, son. I, while you're, this is going to be one of those repeat, talks a lot and I'm going to be over here wishing we we're on Google so I could be adding like birthday hats onto him. And remember we used to do yes. that calls we did we, Google Hangouts. We would do Google Hangouts and and did we ever do it to a guest? I don't remember I, if we did it to a guest. I think we did, we were on once and a guest turned up and there's me and you with like snorkels and birthday hats and dog faces on. That was rad. It was probably Phil Yancey. <laughs> Philip. <laughs> <laughs> we still can't get through this mag talk. It's sorry, still sorry. gonna, all right, all right. it's gotta all bring right. its way back. Hey, in. Scott. Oh, by the way, I saw the DeLorean yesterday. Oh, I thought that was awesome. License plate out of time. I know. It was at Disneyland in their parking lot, so I think it might have been legit. Dude, I was at Disneyland. We're, no. Yeah, you're right. No, there's no way I was at Disneyland. <laughs> I hate Disneyland. It was, it was hot. Yeah, well, you know. I, the, hey, the line for the the Jack Skellington haunted house was like the black hole of Calcutta, man. Was it? Oh gosh, it was terrible. Interesting. Stifling hot. Interesting. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. All right, boys and girls. So here's my story. Um, this is going to be a, a story about uh, finding God and and one man's journey. And so, because so much has happened over the last four months. Some of these th- things that I'm going to tell you about are going to be out of sequence because I don't remember when they happened in the process. I just remember they happened. Um, so here's the story. Here's, here's, here's the, the preface, if, if you will. So for those of you who are new, uh, I run a marketing consulting company and, uh, and really I run most of the Bivo Inner Circle. Uh, and what's called the Platinum Bible Inner Circle, which is teaching uh, bivocational pastors and church planners how to create money and income in their life so they have time to spend with their family and they have time to spend with uh, their church. And that's really hard when you're working at Starbucks making, you know, essentially minimum wage. I mean, it's better than minimum wage, but it's not for most areas that you live in. And you're doing all these things. And so uh, I was like... Peyton and I were talking one day and I'm like, dude, man, if I could show these guys how to do what I do, it could be game changing for them. And for a great many guys in the Bible Winter Circle, it has been game changing for them. And 
as someone who has a a a non-vested and a non-financial vested interest i have a a emotional vested interest in their success um i am so so proud when i hear some of these guys just uh you know starting to to make things happen like we got one guy Wyman Wellman um church planner i believe in like i want to say louisiana i hope that's correct uh, Louisiana, Alabama, something like that over, over there, one of those states, one of those states over there. And I mean, you know, it, the first check he got was like four grand and that was game changing for him. And, and just because you get one check doesn't mean your job is done right now. You got to go out and get another client and stuff like that. But it's, it's been awesome to see, you know, guys being able to, to do that and all of a sudden have this income coming in. So I have for my business, I have, uh, well, I had three assistants. Um, now I'm down to two again. So one of my assistants, my, my main assistant, my number one, you've heard us talk about him on the, uh, the podcast. Travis is his name. He's out of Florida. He's a church planner out there. Seriously awesome. One of the best assistants I've literally ever had in my life. Like I, I literally, I called him up this week and I was like, dude, uh, you've almost been with me a year and, you know, we kind of talked when you started, I'd like for you to stick with me for at least a year and I'm going to teach you everything that I know you're going to see behind the curtain, if you will. And I'm like, Hey, um, uh, you planning on leaving me anytime soon? <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah, uh, I hope not because I'm teaching you how to do what I do and I cannot pay you <laughs> at the level yeah. that I, I, that you can get paid if you do this stuff yourself. And, um, and right now he's, he's like, look, I'm thinking maybe February, March, hopefully, you know, um, well, I'm saying hopefully, hopefully it'll be that long. But, uh, so anyway, bottom line is because he is part time with me because he's doing a church plant, I haven't been able to get more than 20 hours, uh, a week out of him. And I've gone back to him like, dude, man, you, I, I got so much more work. You are like a rock star. Can I give you more work? And, you know, he'll go back, talk to his wife and, and she's like, no, no, you, you need, you need time with the family. You need time with the church. And I get that. I get that. Mm-hmm. She's wrong, uh, but I get that. <laughs> I'm just yes. kidding. Just go to her and say, "We no, we want to buy Travis. I do. We want to own him. We would like to purchase him. I told him. I go, move to California. I have a job waiting for you. Yeah. We yeah. need church plants out here. Come out here. In fact, they just had their, their second child, and they named him after me, Peter David Sinks. I told him, I go, you get by the winner circle for life for free. And that goes to everybody. You name your child after me. I'll give you by the winner circle for life. You'll never pay for it. Yeah. I'm still mad about that. You should have named it Peyton. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it was a girl, they would have gone with Peyton, but, uh, ouch. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, he, he couldn't take any more hours and, uh, about, uh, yeah, well, it was four months ago. Um, we're really, I think we had just launched by the winter circle and we had all these interviews that you and I had done that we were transcribing. We had them transcribed and we needed to clean them up because the way we speak isn't the way we read. So I remember going to you and I'm like, Hey, look, dude, um, you're too busy. I'm not the guy you want proof in anything, right? That ain't my skill set. Uh, I can't ask Travis to do this. I already got too much work on him. I'm like, Hey, do you mind if we hire my buddy to review these transcripts and clean them all up and, you know, make them read right? And I go, but I got to warn you, he's not a Christian. He's not saved. 
So I'm going to like, even if we hire him, I'm going to need you to go back through and review the transcripts to make sure that he didn't change anything that shouldn't be changed because it's not his first language, right? These, these terms that we use, it, it's not his, his first language, right? So, um, you're like, no, that's totally cool. You know, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's go for it. And incidentally, I was like, man, you know what? I, I totally need an assistant too. I need someone who can like physically work here in my office because I got too much stuff that needs to be done. Here's his backstory. I'm going to tell you his name. His name is Wayne. Wayne is uh, a good friend of mine. I've known him since 2005 and most of the time I've worked for him. Um, a couple of projects we've uh, partnered on. And uh, he is a very analytical, anal-type person, right? Like, everything's got to be in its place. Um, one of the reasons why he's really good at proof and stuff is because that's kind of the eagle eye that he looks at everything, like the complete opposite of me. In fact, I learned that I don't like working for him <laughs> because he's too anal and I'm, like, too not. Like, if you know the disc test, he has to be, like, 100 a C which is, you know, the, the very analytical, you know, guy. And I got to have like, in fact, I know what mine is on the C on the disc test. I'm like a 30, which is like near the bottom. Right. And so, um, so I, I was talking to him and I was like, dude, man, I know it's hard for you to get a job right now. Now here's the reason why it's hard for him to get a job. He was indicted. Um, I don't remember how many years ago it was. I think it was like, 2014 or 2015, something like that. He got indicted and uh, the trial hadn't started yet. I mean, it's like two years after he'd been indicted, uh, but he was facing some serious jail time. And without going into all the details on that side of things, here's what I'm going to tell you. Um, and this is something that he won't tell you, not publicly, and there's there's reasons for it. Um but I will tell you this. I happen to know from firsthand uh, experience, and I'll explain why I've got this firsthand experience. He's an innocent man. 100% he's innocent. Um, he being under indictment, you know, he could still get work. But last year he had to take a plea agreement and basically uh, uh, say that he was guilty. And in doing so, he would get basically he's going to go to jail for about two years. Uh, but I, I know what most people are thinking. They're thinking only guilty people plead guilty, and it's not the case. Um, innocent guys who are 56 years old, have a 12-year-old kid, a 23-year-old daughter, a wife, they will plead guilty if it means I'm going to jail for two years when there's about a 95% chance that if I don't plead guilty, I'm going to go to jail for 20 years. Because I'm going right. to lose at trial. And that was the situation he was faced with. It's like, I either plead guilty, go to jail for two years, or I'm probably going to go to jail for what could be the rest of my life and certainly ruin the life of my 12-year-old son, uh, my 23-year-old daughter, my wife. I mean, you know, it, th their lives are just going to be in shambles forever after this. So I know that's really hard for people to, to believe. Um, I can honestly say the reason why I know he's an innocent man is I literally worked at this company that he was at that uh, the FTC has said, you know, 
this company was um, defrauding people. Not the case. They were totally legit. In fact, there's there's a huge backstory on it that we don't need to get into. He was an employee. He wasn't an owner of the company. He was an employee of the company. Um, he worked for an attorney. The attorney was the owner. Uh, there was another guy who was also an owner, um, and that was who they were really after. But they they took these three guys are all going to jail now. The uh, they all took plea deals. And, um, he was the employee. The other guy was the attorney owner. It was a law firm. They were doing loan modifications and those companies. I don't know if you guys remember back in the day, but when everyone was losing their homes, everyone hated loan mod modification companies because they're still losing their homes. And, um, and anyone who's gone through that, I mean, I've gone through foreclosure and all that stuff. You're not a happy camper. And, uh, so I, I don't want to get into all that because that's not really germane to this, but I remember last year, uh, you know, I got contacted by his, his, uh, attorneys, uh, what do you call him? Uh, investigator. And I was talking to them because, you know, they're, they're, you know, we're getting ready for trial. We got to get some background information. This is before he took the plea deal. And, um, and, you know, cause I would probably have to, to go to court and be a character witness and say what I saw, which was these guys were doing legit work. I mean, they were literally saving people's homes from foreclosure, totally saving them from foreclosure. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I'm talking, so I'm, I'm, I'm like following, you know, what's going on in the news. He's been a good friend. He literally sold me the house that I live in. Um, he did the, the, he was the real estate agent. He, he handled my mortgage. I mean, I know this guy, right? I know him really well. We've been friends for years. Like I said, we've been business partners. I've worked for him. And I've always kind of, I always assumed he was an atheist because anytime we'd have religious talks, he came across to me as an atheist. Now, you come and work for me <laughs> at this point in my life. I co-host the Church Planner podcast. Um, I help produce a hardcore church planning podcast. I don't, I don't co-host that anymore. Um, I publish the church planner magazine and I run the Bivo inner circle, right? I mean, I'm like steeped in everything religious. And, uh, so, I mean, if you come to work for me, you're going to hear about this stuff. Right. And so we have over the last four months had incredible conversations about God and seeing his journey and finding his way back to God. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about on today's podcast is I kind of want to dig into this because I think there's a lot of lessons here that a lot of people can benefit from hearing when it comes to sharing the gospel with people. So, uh, so that's, that's the setup, if you will. Did I miss anything on that, Peyton? Do you, do you think I've set it up properly? Yeah, no, it's exactly what it is. So, so and, anyway. and you told me all this, like you would have, for sure told me if like, Hey man, no, he was kind of doing something. It's, it's everything that you told me yeah. up front. And, but I mean, and the reason why he'll never claim he's innocent because that actually is going to hurt his reputation, right? Like sure, when he yeah. gets out, you can't go, but I was, you know, I was falsely imprisoned. No one's going to believe you. Yeah. And I remember you kind of approaching me and saying, um, Hey, you know, you told me like, Hey, just, he's at a bad place in life. And I just, I feel like, we ought to help him out. You know, like it was very much like, and I remember you saying, you know, I, I would, if I were in the same situation, I want someone to do that for me. And I don't know if you felt he would or not, but 
um, I, I it was just the Lord in it. I could sense it when you talked to me and said, "Hey, would you be cool if we took him on?" And you know, it was just kind of one of those like, "Yeah, I feel the Lord in this. I think it's good." So he can't get a job. He, 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 like once you've once you've pled guilty, you're not getting a job. No one is going to hire you as a felon, which actually brings up. For me, I'm looking at it from a ministry side going, okay, we as a church, we need to figure something out here. Like, I know there's great organizations. Uh, what's that guy, Colson's uh, organization? Yeah, Charles that does, Coulson, yeah. That does prison ministry. And I'm like, we, yeah. we got to do something because yep. no wonder so many of these guys go back to jail. Yep. They can't get a job. How can you yeah. get a job? Like, if I have the choice to hire a felon or a non-felon, why would I hire the felon? Well, it, it's funny because this is one of the reasons that when everybody makes Walmart the devil, I have a fondness in my heart for Walmart because I'm like, they're the only, they're like the only major corporation I know that says, well, how are you? Okay. You know, it's, it's minimum wage, but you can't I, get anything else. That's, that's it. And I'm like, you know what? They're doing their part on yeah. hiring. You know, that, that's a big risk to a company to do that. And yet they are willing to give those guys a step up. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, I, I, you know, he started, he started reading the, uh, the transcripts, which is kind of funny. Cause you and I were like, yeah, and now we're, ma- you know, this non-Christian guy and we're making him read and analyze <laughs> these interviews with like Alan Hirsch, uh, Brian Sanders, Vince Antonucci, like all these like great, great transcripts. He not only has to read them, he has to like, go through them and like really. And so he would come back to me like, I have no idea what this word is. I don't know what this means. I don't want to change the context of it. And then you would come back through and you would reread everything and make sure that theologically nothing got changed. And that w- would never have been his, his intent. Like his intent was never to, to harm in any way, but we needed someone who would do that work. And so I approached him. I said, look, dude, um, I got to hire an assistant and I'm going to warn you right now. I can be a real jerk to work for. Because there are just some things that I'm like very, this has to be done. It's got to be done like this. You know, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm going to warn you. It may not work because we got this friendship history. But if you need a job, I can give you a job because my stinking assistant, Travis, won't take any extra hours. <laughs> so, so, um, so he ended up, uh, it, it, at first, I think he thought that I was like trying to like, you know, give him money or something like out of the kindness of my heart. Cause he's like, it was almost like, hey, I don't need your charity, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, dude, no, you need to understand. I might be firing you. Don't be thinking this is charity because you might work for me and go, hey, that Pete guy is a real jerk. I don't want to work for him. And um, so he ended up working for me uh, 30 hours a week. And uh, I would make him drive from Elisa Viejo all the way up to my house. And for those of you that know where I live and know where he lives, it's like Elisa Viejo to Long Beach in rush hour traffic. Your life sucks. <laughs> just does right and he's got to go I actually home. did not know that and he would leave around rush hour time that's oh yeah true yeah that sucks oh yeah and then he would go back but see because he was he was doing 30 hours a week he could like come in and he would get here about 9 30 and then he'd leave about 3 30 so it was it was easier for him then and then on fridays he's like i gotta leave here at 2 30 or i'm just you know my friday night i'm just stuck in traffic so um so anyway, so he starts to work for me and he's known that I'm a Christian. We've talked about religion in the past and, and 
you'll you'll hear some of my I would say a lot of my positions have changed over the years uh specifically as it re- re- pertains to um what I think are conventionally held beliefs in Christianity versus uh where I'm at today. And I'll explain what I mean here in a minute because don't worry I'm not like some crazy uh, you it's know It's not liberal. It's not a, a, it's not liberal yeah. thinking but there is a fundamentalist um, attachment to certain things. Yeah, to and, certain doctrines of the church. You know, I mean, really, just start with him because all of our church planners are going to know that they've had similar conversations with people where, you know, um, the objections that people bring to believing in God, um, we've all heard yeah. these same ones. And, um, yeah, so go for it, man. Yeah. So, so anyway, so he comes up and, he, you know, he's working here. This is, I don't know, late May. Uh, it might have been no, it had to have been late May that he started working with me. And so as we get started talking, you know, I was like, man, I just assumed you were an atheist. He's like, no, I'm not an atheist. He goes, I'm an agnostic. He goes, I, I don't think anyone can truly be an atheist, which is true, right? Because to be an atheist, you have to believe that you know everything there is to know about everything. Because if you admit that your knowledge is limited, that our knowledge of the universe is limited, that we don't know everything, then you have to admit outside of what you know, there's a possibility that there's a God. So it doesn't make sense for people to be atheists, not logically. But the safe goat to that is, well, I'm an agnostic. You know, I, I, I don't really know. And that was kind of like the starting point for our conversations. And we, over the last four months, have talked and talked and talked and talked about God, about Jesus, about the flood, about uh, creation, uh, you know, uh, young earth, old earth, you name it, we've talked. In fact, I was making the joke with him this last week. We, we have had marathon sessions in my office here where for three to four hours in the day, we did zero work and talked about God. And I was making the joke with him this last week. I go, you know, once you leave, I'm probably going to be a millionaire by the end of the year because I'm actually going to get work done. (laughs) Like, (laughs) in a very real sense, for the last four months, I've done basically no work. Like, you know, literally Wayne shows up, the computer doesn't even go on, and we just start talking. And it's not always about God. It's about life. It's about everything that's going on. So here's here's the setting. You got a guy who's a felon who, at, when he started working for me, he hadn't been sentenced yet. And uh, and he's a he's a he's what's considered a white collar criminal, right? This is uh uh you know as you hear the term camp fed, right? That's where he's going. In fact, uh, we're recording this on a Thursday, and uh, today he's flying up to Oregon. He's going to be uh, um, going to to the to the lovely area of Sheridan, Oregon, and staying in our our fine federal corrections uh, institution there. And, uh, and he, he has to report tomorrow. You self report at this stage, right? Because you're not you're not a violent criminal. You're not a murderer, a rapist, anything like that, where they just take you and lock you up. You're you're self reporting, and and you start your time. In fact, where he'll be, he'll be at one of the camps which a lot of the camps don't even have walls around it. Like there's just a sign that says, don't go beyond this point. If you do, you're in violation and you're basically hosed. Um, 
So it's it's a little bit different, right? It's not like, you know, the movies where you see San Quentin or Shawshank. It's not like that. That's not where he's going at this point. He could get transferred to something like that, but that's that's not where he's at. So we're talking. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand. When you are basically the sole breadwinner in your house, his wife is a stay-at-home mom. That's what God has gifted her with. That's her calling, taking care of their their son, his daughter, uh, is 23 years old. She's a first-year law student at UCLA, incredibly bright. Um, she's also his adopted daughter. Um, he adopted her when she was four or five, and she's had you know a traumatic history from before that. And there's a whole story that goes along with that that we're not even going to get into. Um, in fact, I don't even know how much of it. Anyway, I'm not even going to touch that. But bottom line is, like he's been the rock in this family. So what happens when you can't get a job, there is no income coming in. The government has hosed you, taken everything you've got. You've got no money, no nothing. What do you do? Like you are struggling. You are struggling to put one foot in front of the other. Like how do you take care of a family when there's nothing? So here's the story of God getting this guy's attention. And I remember after he uh, pled guilty, I found out about it because I Google searched him and I was like, oh man, dude, he pled guilty. And I had to call him after that. I'm like, dude, you pled guilty. I mean, I, last thing I knew, I was talking to your investigator thinking I might be, you know, a, a witness. And, and so he told me, hey, here's what happened. Here's why I had to plead guilty. And basically the, uh, the attorney that owned the company, um, he pled guilty. And so once one person pleads guilty, everyone's got to plead guilty because they're going to have that guy testify against the other ones. And what's that guy's sole job now? I got to make it easy for the prosecution because if I don't, they're going to make it really hard on me and they're going to make me go into jail for a long time. Mm. So you're going to say whatever you got to say. You're going to do whatever you got to do to save your own skin. They, they don't do these deals where it's like, well, if you plead, we'll give you X amount of time in jail because if they do that, and that guy's on the witness stand and the you know the defense goes you know what did the prosecution give you for this and you go well he promised me 2 years and you're going for 20 years on the other, it, it looks like okay they've bought your testimony so they don't actually agree to any time limit you're just pleading guilty and usually what happens is you know you plead guilty on one charge uh, a lesser charge and they waive all the rest of them like that's the most that they'll agree to so once the first guy did it it was like well then he had to do it um, and then once he did it, then the third guy who they were really after, um, he had no choice. I mean, you're going to have two guys plus a slew of clients who lost their home, uh, coming to you. I mean, you're, you're, you're going down, right? So here's, here's a story of God showing up for this guy. I remember thinking when that happened, I just, I totally remember praying this on more than one occasion. God, I don't know how, but if you can somehow use this experience to bring him and his family to you, please do it. And I had, I had no idea how God was going to use this or if God, you know, could use this. Cause what do you do when you got, when you know you're innocent, you're going to jail. Are you exactly like happy with God? Aren't you like, well, God, why are you allowing this injustice to happen? Right? Because you don't understand the wages of sin is death. You don't understand that we all deserve far worse than going to jail, right? Right. Um, but you can imagine for someone who doesn't understand that stuff, they wouldn't be exactly pleased with God during all of this. 
So here's some of the amazing stuff. I knew that I was going to take care of what's called his commissary uh, account. So when you go to jail, you basically get nothing. You want good toothpaste? Like, I don't mean like, you know, high flutin toothpaste. I mean, toothpaste that doesn't taste like death warmed over. You have to buy it from the commissary. Um, if you want to uh, call your family, you have to buy the time from the commissary. It's really expensive. Um, you want a bag of chips, you got to buy it. But you got no money except for whatever is in your commissary account. And you're only allowed to have so much money in a commissary account uh, on a monthly basis. Uh, I think it's like 300 bucks, something like that. And um, and I knew, I was like, dude, I know they don't have any money. I'm like, I know I'm going to take his, his or I'll, I'll help him out on his commissary account. And at the same time, I'm literally thinking to myself, I got to figure out a way to do it where he doesn't know that I'm doing it because his, um, I know what his mindset would be. His mindset would be, don't worry about me, help my wife. And I'm like, what's $300 going to do for, you know, his wife? I, I mean, it's, it's going to be a drop in the bucket for what they need, but it would be life changing for him. You know, he'd be able to, Buy the the uh, flip flops to use in the shower. He'd be able to buy shampoo. He'd be able to buy soap. You know, he could have those things. Just just remember the piece of advice that Ruben gave <laughs> I know. about the soap in prison. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, I reached out to <laughs> Ruben. <laughs> no, I am right now, man. I reached out to Ruben because Ruben uh, is one of our church planners. You've heard us talk about him on the podcast. Uh, he's been to jail. And so I was like, dude, man, I know you basically no, got no. saved. Ruben tells it publicly. He went to summer camp. Yeah, that's right. He went to summer time. camp. And, and so I was like, you know, Ruben, I know you basically got saved in jail and, you know, life changing for you. You know, what do I tell this, this buddy of mine? And he came back with some phenomenal advice to the point where I told you, I'm like, we have to do a podcast on this because uh, if our church planners are planning where they need to be planning, they're going to be experiencing this a lot. They're going to have a lot of guys going to jail and they need this advice on how to find God, how to, how to connect with God in jail. And, um, and so then Ruben leaves me a Voxer message and he goes, Oh, and by the way, it's not gay. If you drop the soap, it's only gay. If you pick it up, <laughs> it was just classic. Right. So of course I had to send that over to, to Wayne, you so, know, so tuck that bit of wisdom away that if you're in, if you're in prison, is it just one of those like survival things that you hear? Like, you know, the cable snaps in your elevator, you know, climb on top of everyone else and they'll cushion the impact and <laughs> they'll die, but you'll live. I've this never heard of, that. You've never heard climb that? Climb on top of everyone? Oh my gosh. There was a, a book in the UK that, that had all of these, you know, how to survive scenarios. And that was, that was the elevator plunging. You know, the, the, the best chance of survival you had was to climb on top of other people and they'd act as a pillow. And, uh, That's it's terrible. Hilarious. It's terrible. I know. But, uh, this is one of those things you tuck away, right? If the soap drops, that's okay. <laughs> I don't want to be sending out any signals here. <laughs> when I shared that with him, he goes, yeah, uh, someone was telling me that, uh, that their experience when they were in jail, cause he talked to a couple of different, what are called prison consultants, guys who've gone to jail and like now they sell their services. Let me teach you what you're, you're in for and how to deal with jail and stuff like that. And the guy goes, yeah, my first day there, I dropped the soap. And I'm like staring at the soap. And he goes, this other guy just looks at me and goes, you can pick it up. It's not like the movies. <laughs> Are you serious? Yes. That yes. is so rad. 
<laughs> so, so, you can uh, pick it up. <laughs> it's not like the movies. <laughs> so, um, so here's what happens. And he starts to tell me now he lives in a house oh, in Elisa okay, Viejo. Okay. Sorry. Now everyone's wondering if we're safe. <laughs> Believe now, now me. I'm in, in with you. Thanks, Pete. Where now, I go in this me. conversation, you might be wondering that. So, so he lives in Elisa Viejo. He's lived in this house for like, I don't know, 15, 20 years, something like that. And he can't afford the mortgage. <laughs> he can't afford anything because he's got no money. And uh, now here's the thing that I think is amazing. He is more of a Christian than most Christians are. And here's what I mean by that. His neighbor on his, the side of him for like the last, I don't know, five, ten years, every week he and his wife have done her grocery shopping because she's very sick. And they've been more of a neighbor than most Christians are. Like, I don't even know my neighbors. Literally, I don't know who they are. I'm, one of them, I've lived here for 12 years. I've never met them. And, you know, they just like, they take care of people in their neighborhood. They're just, you know, this is who we are. This is what we do. Well, um, it turns out that that lady is uh, very, very Christian, very, very devout. And she's known the whole story. I mean, he's never hidden anything about, you know, what he's going through. And he was just talking to her and he's like, yeah, look, the loan modification just came through for our home, but it's $3,000 a month. We don't have $3,000. I mean, you know, so we're kind of looking at where are we going to move to? Is there someone's uh, room we can rent? You know, is there family we can go stay with? What can we do? And for her, that was devastating because she's like, you guys have done so much for me over the years. I can't let you guys leave. So literally the next day, um, I think it was the next day. It was the next time he talked to her. And he, the way he tells the story is hilarious, right? He goes, he goes, she believes Pete. That God audibly speaks to her. <laughs> like, you just gotta imagine this, right? He's like, and then he realized he's talking to me, a really religious guy, and he's probably like, well, I don't know, maybe this is normal for, <laughs> for these crazy religious guys. <laughs> so he kind of like backs off the ledge a, a little bit, you know, and, 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 <laughs> and he's like, she literally believes God spoke to her and said, you're to pay their mortgage. So apparently, She's really well off and doesn't have family or kids or anything like that. And so he goes, she insisted. She goes, I can't let you say no because God literally told me to pay your mortgage. And I don't want anything written up. If one day you've got some money, great, you can pay me back. But as for right now, I'm paying your mortgage. Since January of this year, that neighbor has been paying their mortgage $3,000 a month. That's incredible. And I was like listening to that going, okay, God puts someone in your life who is paying for your mortgage. Now, I hadn't told him at this point that I already knew I was going to take care of his commissary account. And so, you know, in one of these first conversations, he says, yeah, I don't even know how I'm going to be able to, you know, take care of my commissary account because how else am I going to be able to call my family and and talk to them? And so I was talking to you. <laughs> And you go, here's what you do, Pete. Tell him God told you, but he didn't give you an audible. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's what I told him. I go, hey, look, man, I just want you to know about your commissary account. I've known for, you know, basically since you you uh, pled guilty, I would take care of your commissary account. 
and he was so moved. He he had no idea, you know, how to take that. You know, like why would someone be willing to do this? And um, so I, I give that to you. To I want people to understand. I totally believe that God's intent is to use this whole experience to bring him and his family to him. And uh, so, I mean, you know, when you're working for me, all the stuff that we do with church planners, we're going to talk about religion. And what he's even said before in the past, he likes talking to me about religious stuff because I don't get angry. And I don't get offended if, you know, we disagree on something. It's like, okay, you know, that's a, that's good thought, you know, whatever. And, and we just, we talk, right? We, we talk, we just have discourse. Just like anyone else. We just, we just talk to each other about these things. And, uh, so one of the, the first conversations we had, and this, this has been a sticking point for him as to why he doesn't believe in the Christian God is because of Genesis. He's like, the evidence is overwhelming. The universe is not young. It is 13.9 billion years at a minimum from our time and space in the the universe. We can calculate out the universe to be 13.9. He goes, you know, what do you believe? Now, here's the part where people are going to think that I'm not saved. We've talked about this briefly on the podcast in the past. Um, I am not a young earther. Uh, most, uh, most apologists are not young earthers. Um, most of the scholars of our day are not young earthers in the Christian faith. Now I say that just to preface it. So, you know, I'm not the only one who believes this isn't a young earth. Um, I know your pastor probably says that it is and all that, but I'm just telling you that that's not really what scholarships believe. They, they believe that, Literally, our translation is incorrect of, uh, of, you know, Genesis one. And, and specifically, you and I have talked about Genesis one and two is originally Hebrew poetry, only in English. It doesn't look like poetry. So we kind of don't even realize that it was written as poetry. And, uh, but I've also said on the podcast publicly, I don't have a problem with the young earth either because when you study quantum physics, a young earth and an old earth can both actually exist at the same time, and I'm not going to go into that now. It's just one of those crazy things with quantum well, physics. People will always ask things like, well, why would God make it, you know, in six days and make it look old? Well, he, maybe he didn't make it look old. Like, like See, here's the problem that I have with the, look, the, the, looking, just... the looking old thing for me. Here's the problem that I have with it because the evidence is overwhelming. Right. The evidence is overwhelming. We know how long, like when we look at the sun, we know that that is what the sun looked like eight and a half minutes ago because it takes time for that light to get to us. So when we look out, we see the stars, we see these other galaxies, millions and hundreds of millions, in some cases, billions of years for that light to get to us. And if you believe that God made it look old to me, here's the problem that I got. You were telling me. And I know this is going to be offensive to a lot of people. I'm just, you already think I'm not saved, so I'm going for it, right? Um, you're telling me that God's okay with lying to us. And the Bible tells us God can't lie. That's the problem that I got with the young earthers who go, well, God made it look old. Why? Why would God make it look old? Why would he choose to try and deceive us? That literally makes no sense because the Bible specifically tells us God can't lie. 
Like there's certain right. things God can't do. Lying is one of them. Well, and the the thing is though, the it, just logically, to me, it doesn't matter. But that people always give that as that must be the answer. Well, God just did what he did and he made it the way he made it. And however we interpret it doesn't really matter. Like it, God did an action. If it looks old to us, that's because we interpret it as looking old to us. And for God, however he created it, he could, and I'm in full agreement with you. I'm just saying that this is not an easy subject. I've heard no. both sides yeah. talk about it like it's easy. And I'm, I'm being devil at, devil's advocate against the old earth who they will say, well, that's a slam dunk right there. And for me, it's like, well, no, God just did what he did. And you can interpret it however you want. You can look at it and say, well, everything looks old because things look like this over time when they're old. But there's no cinched slam dunk argument. My, my kind of conclusion on this is the evidence looks like it's old. Um, you know, it's how we interpret it through science because things look this way after they're super old. Um, it doesn't directly contradict, right? Um, anything in the scripture. Like the Bible tells you the six days of creation. I think the point of that is order, the order of creation. And if you were to actually, uh, evolve the planet, it had to be in that order. The, this is a conversation I had with a, a guy who's very scientifically um, astute, and he agreed. He goes, you're actually right on that. I never thought about it that way. I said, well, you need this first, and the, and the order is there. And six days could be six days of punctuated equilibrium, which right. is something that evolution believes, that at a certain stage. Now, all of this would be, obviously, for me, I don't care how it got here. I don't care if that was the process. I don't care if it wasn't. All I know is that everything Genesis says, I 100% believe. The question that we're dealing with isn't whether or not we believe the scripture. The question is, what is the original intent of the author? What is the author saying? And in many cases, interpretation is very tricky because when the whole conversation about reading Genesis in this way came about, it was a reaction to Darwinism, which was stripping God out. So then suddenly scholars came to the understand, you know, the, the, the quote unquote defense of the Bible and started arguing six literal days. Whereas when you go back and read the Old Testament, which, which by the um, way is an interesting argument because when you don't even have the earth, how are you calculating time? Like, right. It, it, well, it doesn't, it doesn't make logical sense. Well, that's it. That, that's the argument is at least by day four, like day one, two, and three, the earth, moon, and stars weren't given for us to regulate uh, a calendar. So a day might have even been billions of years on day one, two, and three, um, even if you're holding to the strictest definition. And um, and so, you know, we, we look at it because when it says, you know, and there was evening and morning the first day, you don't. You don't have planets on the first three days right. to determine morning and evening. So what does that mean? Well, you're dealing with something that's put in poetic form and it was a memory tool and all of those things. And I believe everything it says is true. Right. But the question is, how are we interpreting it? And, and, and this yeah. isn't anyone who knows me knows that I, I will never bow to what is popular or accepted. If I feel God is saying something, I'm going to side with God over everybody right. else. 
But over the years, as I look at the science of interpretation, how many my, how many times my views have changed? Um, so many different times. It's hermeneutics is, is what I'm more fascinated with is pulling back and going, you know, like, for example, why is there a, a, an account of Genesis in chapter one, then another account that retells it in chapter two? Well, the author was doing something there. So what was he saying there? These are the things that, that I study a little bit more. But again, it comes back to an idea of, um, we're dealing with how have we interpreted right. what God is saying. And rather than being reactionary from a 19th century Victorian understanding of what Darwin was saying and how to counteract that, go back to the ancient Hebrew uh, commentaries like the Midrash and other other things that actually say, um, it's funny because when you start studying this, you realize that the, the old rabbis used to actually play around with this. These are guys that would die for the scripture right. and its inspiration and infallibility. And even they, way back then, the Jewish Pharisees, I mean, not the Pharisees, the, the Jewish uh, scholars um, and rabbis that are well noted were saying things like, like Hillel and others saying, you know, this, this God may have done it this way. And there wasn't the reaction against Darwin. They were playing with this stuff way back then. Yeah. Because there's nothing it, directly in the text that would, would, and the interesting thing is, and, and, and I think you, you, you hit on it. Like, I don't personally have a problem with a young earth or an old earth. If I had to side with one, I'd probably go, look, I, I believe more in an old earth, but I don't have a problem with either one. And it, cause to me, it's not a salvation issue. It's not clear cut. Cause if it was, it would take up way more than like a couple of verses, right? It would be like, let me explain to you how everything was done. In fact, I read one apologist and he goes, what, what you got to understand about our universe? Why did God make the universe so big? And part of that is, well, if God just made a sun an earth and maybe a moon, you would be going, well, how are we here? Like you wouldn't even understand it, but because of the universe that we have, how big it is, how old it is. Be- because of that, we've got things like the Kalam cosmological argument where we can actually prove there has to be a God. There has to be one because something came from nothing. And we know that scientifically in what is commonly referred to as the Big Bang, something right. came from essentially nothing. How does that happen? Because there has to be a God. Somebody outside of the universe uncaused himself had to cause it. And, um, and I thought that was an interesting point of, you know, why didn't God just make a sun, earth and a moon? Cause then you couldn't even prove that there was a God. You'd be like, I don't know how everything's here. It just one, is here. One of the, one of the things that always, and I know this is a whole nother topic, but I always like to bring up math to people. Why does math exist? Hmm. You know, cause people will be like, Oh, but you know, you're saying there's only one way and this and that. And I'm like, but there is only like, that's hardwired into the fabric of our universe that like mathematics, two plus two always equals four. Um, it never equals five. It never equals three. Um, math is there. Math and quantum is the physics. Product. It could just saying, well, well, no, but, but honestly now math is the, but, but again, why do we have this understanding? Why do we have these rules? There is an order to the universe. Even when people talk about evolution, um, I have, I have read Dawkins. I have watched. And Richard by the way, Dawkins. guys, I'm not saying I believe in evolution. No, we're just literally talking about 
the, the age formation. Of the Earth. Yeah, the age of the Earth, and that's I think a common problem that people have is they immediately tie the two together and go, right. "Well, I gotta. I don't believe in evolution, therefore that's it the can't be an old Earth." Yeah, that's the point oh, okay. I'm making. Is when I'm talking to people um, about Jesus, I don't care about any of that. Right. And I and I don't worry. And you and I made the joke about you know I was talking uh, you know recently with someone who was like I can't be a Christian because I believe in uh, I believe the the stuff about Genesis is rubbish. And this is someone who was walking hardcore with Jesus. And I knew him when he was young. He was in my youth group. And 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 I told him I I laughed. And I said, you mean to tell me you think when you get to heaven, um, Jesus is going to check you at the door and say I'm sorry. I can't let you in. Uh, you believe the gospel, but you don't believe in a, in a young earth. So, uh, I'm sorry. You can't come in, you know, and, and I know we'll have some listeners who are like, dude, you guys are traitors, this and that. We're not. What we're saying is when you're preaching the gospel to somebody, yeah. this stuff doesn't matter, right? Like you're talking about someone who yeah. has no other cosmological worldview to even play, like even to build with. Yeah. Just. Let them have it. Like, who cares? I, well, and that's that. That was my whole point. Was at this stage in my life because I remember years ago we had that conversation, and at that point years ago I was a young earther, and like he can't, he couldn't get over that, right? You know, I can't believe in this Christian God because the evidence is overwhelming. It's not a young earth, so. My point in all of that was, look, at this point in my life, one, I 100% don't give a rip, right? Young right. Earth, Short Earth, what does that have to do with me? Nothing, right? I wasn't there for it. I didn't see it. I don't know what the story is, and I also don't really care. I right. do believe in the Bible 100%. I'm not convinced that our translation of some of the words are 100% accurate, and I'm not convinced that our interpretation of what is being said there is 100% accurate. But I also don't really care because it, it it's not a salvation issue. And one of the things that I kept coming back to him, I mean, over and over and over again, is I go, the reason why I can believe in the Bible is because of the evidence for Jesus. And I can believe in Jesus. And I can believe he is God with skin on. And right. he came down here, he died on a cross, and he was resurrected. I can believe that because of the overwhelming evidence outside of just the biblical uh, recordings of it. Right. Because of that, I look at that and I go, a God that is that powerful and willing to do that, do I think he can make sure that the rest of the Bible isn't jacked up? I can't. Yep. Yep. And that's why I believe the rest of the Bible, because I believe and over and over again, I kept coming back to that. So. So anyway, um, that was a big thing. But that started us down the path of, OK, well, maybe maybe, you know, this this thing is legit. And I mean, we talked about uh, aliens. Right. I don't have a problem with there being aliens. And I know a lot of Christians are like, no, there's no other creatures in the universe. I don't know. You don't know either. We already know that there are angels and demons. So we already know there are things outside of just what's on our planet. So I don't have a problem with there being aliens. And my point to him was, I go, I think it's entirely possible that uh, that God, you know, kind of uses our planet as a, a look at what happens when you don't follow what I tell you to do. Look at what sin is. I mean, you want to know? There it is. 
because I remember having this this discussion in high school, and this one guy was like, "Yeah, you know, the reason why uh, I don't believe in aliens is because Jesus would have to die more than once, and it says Jesus died once for for all blah blah blah." And I'm like, "Well, you, you're assuming that other species would fall, and right. we don't know that." I mean. But I'm not saying I do believe in aliens. I'm just saying right. I don't have a problem with it. Right. Same. And um, and you know, part of the conversations that that we talk about. Um, in fact, can I can I can I say this? C.S. Lewis, you can go there. I, no, I okay. love when people bring up that they believe in aliens, because I feel like when somebody says, "Oh, I believe in aliens," they are intelligent people usually. Um, they, they, they're rational, they're reasonable, and they have this gut belief in something they can't prove. Right. Um, they, they, they've never seen or experienced. Yeah. They have less reason to believe in aliens than I do in the Bible. And yet, and I'll, and I'll bring this out and I'll say, and yet you're believing in eyewitness accounts. You believe there's this giant conspiracy to cover up. I tell you what, I believe the same about God in your soul. I believe the exact same. Yeah. Only the difference is I have experienced it. Um, I'm an eyewitness myself, and boom, 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 boom. And I've watched people's lives change around. You know, when you believe in aliens, you know, you, 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 when you get hardcore about it, you go live in the desert, and you, you stake out the sky at night, and you drive around tractors, you know, late at night around cows waiting for, you know, witnessing abductions, and wear tinfoil hats. But eventually... Uh, as a Christian, you you start noticing people start becoming better, fathers yeah. better, you know, on and on and on. Not always, but, you know, there is a trend. There is a pattern to that. People get involved in social causes. Um, people hire people that are felons, pay, pay their mortgages. Like, there's a, there's a difference um, in what it does for you as a human being. And that is the evidence I'll, I'll, I'll point to. But I love it when someone says I believe in God, or I mean uh, aliens, because I'm like... I, I got something to work with here. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we look over four months where we would have routinely three and four hour conversations on this. In fact, I, I made the joke to you one time. I go, I'm basically paying <laughs> near the gospel. I mean, that's essentially what this is coming down to. It, right? it was because I remember not, asking you, I go, how much, uh, how, how much, uh, work is getting done? And you're like, barely any, <laughs> it's costing me money. You're having all these conversations with them all the time. And, and and believe me, I would happily spend every dime I had if that's what it takes, right? Because I'm like, whatever, dude. This is way more important. And um, so the point is, I mean, we, we talked about everything. You know, we talked about forgiveness. You know, uh, how many – he goes, well, what happens if you got someone who, who keeps doing the same sin over and over again? Is God going to keep forgiving them? I mean, that was one of our conversations. Um. And I could tell at one point he was like, well, is there just a magic word? You know, hey, I just say this and I'm in with God. And so, you know, I had to explain the 70 times seven. And I go, but I think part of what your question is, is there a magic thing? I go, what God is always looking at is the heart. He's looking at the heart. Have you repented? He'll keep forgiving you over and over again. Are you repenting? Or are you like, hey, I'm just going to say these magic words and I'm I'm good with God. I'm like, that's that's not cool with God. That's not what God's after. He's not after lip service. You know what was the verse I just read? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Like he he he's after the heart. That's what he's after. And I could just see things are starting to click. Things are starting to change. He's starting to get it right. 
And, you know, we went over Jesus, the, the evidence for Jesus, um, the evidence in the, the apostles lives, you know, they go from our guy just died to, oh my gosh, this is legit. And I'm willing to die for him. What would cause someone to go through that? Like they had to have seen something, you know, over 500 people witnessed Jesus. And Paul even points to, Hey, go talk to these guys. They're still alive. Go talk to them. I'm like, you know, there, something had happened. And so, you know, I could see this, this change shifting and I'll, I'll share this one conversation with you. Um, it was, it was at night. He wasn't there. You know, I'm sitting in my, my movie room chair and I remember just thinking, God, do you really love me personally? Like, how can you love me? Seven billion people on the planet. How, how can you love me? And literally the next day, what's our conversation? <laughs> okay, Pete. So there's a God. You've convinced me there's a God. But we're like ants to him, right? Look at how big the universe is. Seven billion people on the planet. We're like ants to him. What do we care if we squish an ant? We don't. I can't believe in a personal God. Why would there be a personal God? It doesn't make any sense to me. And I just remember we just started talking about this. And one of the key things that I really, this was the line that I felt God gave me at the end of, you know, the summary, probably known us, it was probably three hours later, two hours later, whatever it was. I was like, I totally agree. We are like ants to God, but that's kind of the cool thing because he still does care about us personally, even though we're no different than ants. I mean, we are, but we're not, you know, but I mean, cause we went over man's created in the likeness of God. Yeah. You know, we went over all of that stuff and I could tell it was starting to sink in. And, uh, probably about a month ago, the beginning of September, we're talking and he says, uh, and I, I made some, you know, we're talking about something. I said, Oh, you know, he said the sinner's prayer, blah, 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 you know, went on with, I think and it kind of circles back around to it. And he goes, what's that sinner's prayer? And I go, well, that's just what we call it. You know, uh, when someone basically says, God, I've, I've screwed up, save me. I believe in you, blah, blah, blah. And it kind of pauses and I don't remember if it was, you know, right then that he says this, but it was within, you know, a couple of minutes of this. He goes, you know, I said that prayer when I was a kid and I'm just sitting in my chair. I'm like, wow, man, that's cool. That's, that's awesome. And then he says something that was like the mic drop moment. He goes, I also said that same thing a couple of weeks ago. And I was just like, I'm literally fighting the tears back, right? Because I am like, I cannot believe you just said that. I, I can't mm -hmm. believe we've gone from, I don't know if there's a God, all the way through, yeah, and you know I what? I can't believe in the God of the Bible to, yeah. I'm, I, I said that prayer a couple of weeks ago, which was not... And, and I knew this was not, it was not like, Hey, look, and now I immediately believe everything. Cause we still struggle through yep. things. And it, it, it I was thinking that we, we still, yeah. cause even after that, he's like, I still got a problem with the personal God. And I kept coming back and I go, well, look, there's no way God is going to come down here 
be born, live a life, suffer like he did, and die if he's not a personal God. Right. Why right. would he do that? Like, there's like that doesn't even make any sense. Why, why would you do that? Why would you go through all of that? And he's like, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're right. So we, we, you know, I brought up uh, Dave Ferguson's book, Finding Your Way Back to God. And so yeah. we've kind of used that as a term. And because the way Dave Ferguson refers to that, it's not like if you were a Christian, you left and you come back. He's referring to finding your way back to God. Like all of us are trying to find our way back to God. Yeah, we've interviewed Dave um, on that times. book, by the yeah. way. And it is it is dynamite. I, I think it's one of the most helpful books written in the last five years because it's written to unbelievers. It hit the bestseller. I think it was New York Times. It hit that list or one of those. But definitely, guys, if you're looking for a book to give someone, um, consider that book. I mean, my mentor used to write books for brand new believers because there were none. There's not enough books like this. For people outside the faith that like, honestly, enough people aren't writing books to them to help move them over the line. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, guys, I know we're, we're kind of over our, our time and I'll just, I'll just hit on some of the highlights, man. So, uh, you know, just great conversation after great conversation after great conversation. So then he says to me, and to me, this was like a mic drop moment because I was kind of like, you know, is he saying this stuff because he works for me, you know, and this is what I do. You know, there's all these thoughts in the back of my head because I'm like, dude, I always thought you were an atheist. I mean, I've known you for 12 years and now all of a sudden you're like, yeah. And I said that, you know, but he even didn't say it like that. But I got like all these thoughts going around in my head. Like, is this legit? What's up? And so he, he didn't say it like Gabby Hayes off of an old Western. <laughs> Why yes, Pilgrim? I did say that. <laughs> that just was the sense he gave me just then. <laughs> so, so. We're talking and he goes, yeah, you know, um, his son's name is Phoenix. His son is 12. And he goes, yeah, I was talking to Phoenix the other day and I was like, well, you know, we might want to, you might want to start, you know, rethinking this whole God issue. I mean, there might actually be a God. And I was like, dude, you actually said that to, to your, your son. I was like, okay, you don't start talking to other people about it unless you really are thinking these things in your head. And I'm like, wow, dude. And I remember because I called you. I'm like, dude, he's witnessing to other people and he doesn't even know it. Right? Like, I was like, this is awesome. And and that cool. That's the way it should be, though, is that you're just really, um, it, you're just you're just doing it, man. You're yeah. just talking. Like, it's not I'm going to go witness now. You're just talking. Yeah. As a human being, and that's the best kind of witnessing. Right so, there. like a week or two ago, I just said, hey, so, um what does your wife think about this journey you're on? Cause I'm just, I'm curious, right? Boom. Another mic drop moment. He goes, uh, you know, it's interesting you bring that up. I mean, obviously she knows what you and I have been talking about. I, I talked to her about all this stuff all the time and, um, you know, because of their financial situation and he's going to jail and she, you know, mom needs money, right? So her mom, they're thinking about having her move into the house uh, so that way they can get a little bit of money from her and that'll, that'll help. And, um, which by the way, if you're looking for a room to rent in Elisa Viejo and you're a woman or know a woman, um, I know a great, <laughs> a great house that you can rent a room. Uh, there's just a, uh, you know, a mom and a 12 year old boy living there. You gotta be a, wo- a woman though. And uh, so anyway, he goes, Christine's his wife and he goes, 
Christine was talking to her mom and she said, look, just so you know, I'm thinking about converting to Christianity and her mom's a Buddhist. And she goes, and if I do that, if I convert to Christianity, then that's my choice. None of this Buddhism business. I'm going to Christianity. And I was like, whoa, dude, you know, even the wife is, is coming on board and he goes, yeah. And it's not because of me and what I've been saying to her. It's because of the neighbor that's been paying the $3,000 a month mortgage, their conversations that have been going on. And I'm like, dude, this really is God working on this family. What I've been praying for, for the last year, this is God showing up. So this, this last Sunday says last Sunday here for the next couple of years, his daughter comes down from UCLA and he goes, yeah, the last hour she's crying as you would expect. And he goes, and I said some stuff to her that I never thought I would say. I just said, you know what? I'm thinking, uh, he goes, you know what? You might want to start thinking about taking care of yourself spiritually. And he goes, we've never had that conversation. Now, him and his daughter are really close. They talk about everything. They talk about boys, sex. I mean, she's this, this really attractive Asian girl. And, I mean, he's like, let me tell you what boys are thinking when they see you. And you need to understand this stuff's, you know, this is what, what's going on. And, and then he said, uh, you know, maybe you should talk to your friend so-and-so. One of her friends recently became a Christian and like has been blowing up her Facebook feed with, you know, praise God this, praise God that, blah, blah, blah. And, and he's like, you know, maybe you should go talk to her. And he goes, I, I honestly can't even believe I had that conversation with her. And I just looked at him and I go, it's because it's becoming more real for you. And the more real it becomes for you, the more you want those you love to also know who God is. I go, that's what's going on right now. And he's like, yeah, I, I guess you're right. And, uh, but I mean, there are so many stories like that. And, and I know we're, we're way over on the podcast time, but for me, I felt so honored to be a part of this journey and his journey's not over. Right. So guys, please pray for his family. Um, his journey's not over by any means. And, you know, now he's in jail for two years. In fact, here's the funny thing. And, oh, this is how raw this is, right? You and I talked about this this week. So I bought him a Bible. I was like, dude, I, I guess I better buy him a Bible, right? Because, you know, he doesn't have one. Or I don't know if he does or not. So I buy him a Bible. I literally buy him the exact one that I've got, you know, really nice leather bound. Because it's like 20 bucks on Amazon. And he's just like blown away. And he goes, I was actually going to ask you if you would buy me a Bible and send it to me when I'm in prison. And, um, so I give it to him. I'm like, Hey, you know what? <laughs> I'm thinking in my head, Peyton says everyone starts with the book of John. So I'm like, Hey, everyone starts with John. I mark it in the Bible. So that way it's, it's folded for him. Here's how raw he is. He doesn't know new Testament from old Testament, anything like that. So he decides he's going to start reading in Genesis, right? Since <laughs> that's kind of where our conversation started. And he's got all these questions and he goes, yeah, the thing that keeps bugging me, man, is there's all these footnotes and I can't find the footnote. I'm like, what do you mean? So I, I pull open my Bible, right? And he goes, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. Uh, yeah. He goes like right here. Look at that. Number 18. Where is it? I'm like, oh man, let me explain. That's the verse number. <laughs> like guys, our first language is we understand this stuff. 
Some of these guys who have no background in this, they don't get it. I didn't even think about that. I got to go over reverse numbers. He goes, what about these big numbers? I'm like, that's the chapter. And I go, by the way, when they wrote it, they didn't have chapters and verses. I mean, that was some monk, you know, and and he just, that's why they make no sense. Ride the horse back in the rain one day. Right. Exactly. As the story goes, I go, you know, they will be in the middle of paragraphs that there'll be a chapter change. I go, just, just, it's so, it makes it easier for us to find stuff. Yeah. And he's like, oh, and I go, yeah. So that one is a footnote. If it's at the end of a word, it's a footnote. If it's at the beginning of the word, it's probably a chapter number. Right. And he was like, oh, okay, I get it. But I mean, that's, that's like how raw this is and how new this is to him. Right. Because he's got no background in this. No, yeah. no background. Another interesting thing. I know we got to go. So another interesting thing. He goes, you know what? He names off all the churches right around him. His son went, they sent him to a Lutheran school, I think for, uh, probably preschool, maybe something else. I'm not sure. And, uh, and, and he, he goes, all these churches right around me. And he goes, I've had Mormons knock on my door. I've had Jehovah's witnesses knock on my door. He goes, I've never had a Christian knock on my door. Mm. He goes, what's up? Well, I'm wow. like, yep. Yep. I got, I got, I got nothing for you on that one, man. <laughs> like, just, yeah. Um, that's because, it's because we're an attractional model and we want people to come to our beautiful building. And it's so rad. Like, you know, so. You anyway. know, it's funny because I had, um, for a future episode, I had a design analysis of you and I to do of that, uh, that card. And, you know, I think, I think that we're not being creative enough. I do think you can go door to door. And I think you're, you're, you're going to get faced with a lot of rejection doing that. Yep. Um, but there are people out there, you know, if you, if you figured, you know, what do you think, Pete, in marketing, what's considered a good conversion rate? You can't look at it that way. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Okay. But if, if 10% of the people open the door for me, I got to look at it this way. If 10% of the people uh, open the door, is it worth it? If 20% of the people open the door and have conversations with me, is it worth it? Oh, my gosh. You, you know, maybe Those are really high numbers, by the way. Those are. Yeah. I mean, you know, you got to look at that. That if you're not, if you're guaranteed one out of every 10 people is going to have a conversation with you, wouldn't you do it? Yeah. I, I would. Yeah. You know, because street preaching the same. but it, It's effective. With about 10% of the population and people get saved when you street preach. Now here in America, you, you got to be super, super culturally aware and sensitive of where and when you do it. Um, in Britain, same thing. It's never going to be a popular thing unless you're in a place like Hyde Park, which Mars Hill was. You didn't just street people have this idea that Paul just preached, um, on the streets everywhere. He didn't. We have that in Mars Hill. Peter did at Pentecost because it was a big commotion. Um, Paul addressed, you know, uh, uh, in Ephesus, the riot, because there was a crowd gathered. But but we don't typically have guys preaching in the open air. But it's not, you, you have to be careful where you do it. But again, the whole point is, there are places where this stuff is appropriate. And then there are places, you know, and, and it has a certain percentage that it's effective. 90%. Some people go, well, it's 90% ineffective. And okay. But if 10% of the people, as, as Walter Martin would say, are you willing to do for the truth? What the Colts are willing to do for a lie. Exactly. Right. 
So I love Wayne's point where he's like, hey, we're, how come? Like, if you guys have the truth, how come? Yeah. Interesting. So for me, it's been, you know, just uh, it's been life changing, man. It's been life changing because I never thought he would ever come to that. Well, that's because you're not saved. But what I find really awesome about this is the fact that even you not being saved are bringing other people to faith. <laughs> well, and, uh, that's my big takeaway. Today. That God can use even the unsaved. <laughs> Re- remember, listeners, uh, as you're out there today, just remember, if you're discouraged, just think God can even use Pete Mitchell. And, uh, and go forth, brother, in that encouragement. Yeah, because if God can use me, then uh, proof he can <laughs> use anybody. But and that's the old thing, man, right? I I didn't sow, but I did some watering, right? I didn't sow, but I, I did you some did, watering. though. I think no. everybody did. I think this podcast did. I think your conversations did, you know? Well, I think I watered. I think I watered. I think yeah. – and, and it was funny because I, I was talking to you and I was like, yeah, you know what, dude? He, he said that he said it a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, crap, dude. I don't want him to be like the parable of the the sower and the seed falls and it goes down a little bit and then it hits rock and it dries up and dies. I'm like, dude, I got just a little bit of time. That's why I really in September, I was like, any chance I got where we're going to talk about God, I'm taking it. I don't care what the work is I got to get done. So I probably will be a millionaire by the end of the year because now I'm going to actually get stuff done. (laughs) That's absolutely. That's the biggest be, That's being, why the winter circle is changing. It's been meaning to change for a while now, yeah. but I, I've been too busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, well, Pete, being that you're about to lose an assistant, would you say that you would need help with some, uh, maybe some math or IRS, com- you know, accounting, IRS compliance needs, things like that? I, I would absolutely say that I, I do. In fact, I was going to ask you for a referral. Do you know of a, a person or an organization that I might be able to reach out to that could why, help me? Why, yes, I do, Pete. But, I would suggest that you go to simplifychurch.com. What was that? Simplifychurch.com, Pete. Uh, <laughs> go to them. Josh Henry, Tom, Pete, and Peyton sent you, and they will help your church plant get up and running for a small fee because they're church planters. They know you're not made of money. They're going to help you do your accounting, help track your donors, all that kind of stuff, and keep your IRS compliant. Simplifychurch.com. Well, guys. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you snapped the attention like a, like a naughty school kid. I, oh. I forgot you had to do the tagline, man. I was I was going to play a final sound clip, and I was like, oh, yeah, stop that one. Stop that one. Yes. Um, hey, guys, thanks for joining us for today's podcast. This has been Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell reminding you, if you want to reach the ones no one's reaching, you need to hire them and pay them money to talk to them. Go where no one's going and do what nobody's doing. Walk on the road. Hmm? Walk right side, safe. Walk left side, safe. Walk middle, sooner or later, get the squish just like grape. Here, church planting. Same thing. Either you, church planting, do. Yes. Church planting, do. No. You, church planting, do. Guess so. Just like grape. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. 
The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Thank you.